Well, welcome. Thanks for braving you know, this month's storm of the century um, to get here. Glad you did. Uh, my name is Tom. I'm the teaching pastor here, if you're new with us. And uh, we're in a series on grace, and I just want to start with a confession today. Um, I'm going to need your grace. I, I, there's something that I love, um, and it's a little embarrassing, but I love lowbrow humor. Like, I love slapstick. I can't help but laugh at, like, bodily function jokes. I just do, okay? I'm, I'm a, inside, there's a junior high boy in me that just, he, he has to be satisfied, okay? Um, but one of, the, one of the lowbrow humor things that I love is um, I love all the ways that technology and new technology has provided a whole new realm of, of uh, humor for us in like the, the autocorrect fail category or the oops, I accidentally texted something to my mother that was meant for someone else department. Um, and so I just want to share a few things with you. By the way, if you're going to go look for these later on Google or something, make sure you put in the word clean. Um, this, can, this can get out of hand. But, um, but here's, some, here's some things that people have, have done. Um, this is an autocorrect. Are you coming to the New Year's party? Of course I'll be there. Okay, cool, because I'm going to kill you at midnight. Okay, on second thought, maybe I won't go. Ha, <laughs> I meant kiss you at midnight. Okay, here's one. I'm all in bed and sleepy. I love Hulu. And who doesn't, right? That was supposed to say you and not Hulu. I just like Hulu as a friend, they said. This one combines two of my lowbrow loves. Go to Home Depot's website. I need, choosing, I need help choosing between two paint colors. Okay, what are they? Bare paint, either French lilac or mystic farts. Right? Mystic farts for sure. By the way, if there ever is a paint mystic farts, it, it belongs on my walls. <clears throat> this isn't exactly a, an autocorrect, but it's too good. Please stop changing the Google logo so much. This is a great one. I like the original one. Mom, I don't change the logo. Google changes it. On my computer, you don't run Google? <laughs> it happens, right? It happens. But these are my, my favorites are when it's meant for somebody else. I just can't help it. Um, this one says, uh, hey, mate, my name's Mario. I just wanted to know if I could come and take a look at the car you have for sale. After 5 p.m. is good for me. When are you available? Cheers. I should be available after 6 tomorrow. Followed by, good night, beautiful. <laughs> Cannot wait to have you in my arms. Love you, miss you heaps. Hugs and kisses. To which Mario says, let's just be friends, okay? Let's, let's keep that Mitch in the car. Right? Classics. It's good to know I'm not alone in my love for these. One more. Apparently, Jimmy says, I just got back from a date with Jimmy. <laughs> oh, sorry, this is sent to Jimmy. I just got back from the date with Jimmy. He's 32 and has braces. When Claire set us up, she didn't tell me he had braces. Hi, this is Jimmy. I guess my parents didn't love me enough to get them for me earlier. I'm so sorry. That text was supposed to go to a friend of mine. Jimmy says, let's just be friends. How about that? Okay. It happens, though, right? It happens. Um, we mean to, you know, it's it, in, in 2019, from time to time, we mean to send something to one person and we send it to someone else. Or... Someone meant to send something to someone, and it got sent to us, which happened to me recently when I got this message that said at the bottom, hey, it's probably best if we don't share what we were talking about with Tom. He's pretty sensitive about that stuff. Whoops. Okay? Now, when that sort of thing happens, 
we have a whole spectrum of ways we can respond, right? Okay? We have a whole, there's a lot of options available to us. And I thought through some of those things. Sorry, that's just a close-up in case you couldn't read it. All right. <clears throat> I thought about just sending, we're through, I'm not your friend anymore, right? Like, I'm quitting you. I didn't send that one. I thought about it. I didn't send that one. I thought about sending one that said, you're an idiot. <laughs> you sent this to the wrong person. I'm pretty sensitive about what? That should be a question mark. See, we get angry, our punctuation game goes, to, goes away. I can't believe you sent this to me. Like the direct frontal assault. My, one of my favorite weapons, though, is the passive-aggressive sarcasm. I love this one. It says, yeah, yeah, probably best if you don't. I wouldn't get it. I'm weak and stupid. <laughs> I don't understand stuff like you do. Who are you talking to anyway? You're strong, smart, friends, that's probably who. I guess we're just not as close as I thought we were. I thought about that. I didn't hit the little blue arrow on that one either. And I just thought about a bitmoji tears. Like, I don't even know why this is relevant. I just wanted everyone to know that, yes, there's a bitmoji of Tom. All right. But what do we do? Like, what, what do we do when, when, there's, when there's aggressions? Now, a text to the wrong person is kind of a microaggression, right? It's a small thing. Okay? It, 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 or at least it can be. But sometimes, we, sometimes these small things turn into much larger things. They turn into big things. And, and a lot of that, the size of the offense has to do with how we receive it, how we receive it. We are in a series, Dan mentioned this a few minutes ago, but we're in a series on, on one of our core values at Life Community. We, we say it's grace. We're, we want to be grace-focused. We want to be people that, that not only is the grace of God in our view, but, but grace is just something that is dispensed here on a regular basis because we're, we're focused on it. We see it everywhere. And, and, and our statement on grace, this is how we would define it or how we would say what we want to be true of us, is that we believe that the central driving force of the universe and in our lives is the unmerited grace and love of God. We believe his grace alone not our effort or accomplishment is responsible for producing eternal life, freedom from sin and its control, and lasting change in an individual's character. There's a lot there. And Dan shared a lot of these things with us last week. What the difference that grace makes in our lives if we say yes to it. We're com- we are committed to focusing on and celebrating that grace. And then here's where we're going to camp really today and the next few weeks is We believe in celebrating that grace and fostering an environment that reflects it in our lives and relationships. What difference does it make as we begin to think about it in relationship to one another? What difference does grace make in the way that I interact with you? What difference does grace make when you do get that that text message? Or you do find out that 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 thing that you said in jest has now become an offense against someone and it was supposed to be private. And now we're... There's tension, there's hostility. Or what do we do when things are even bigger, when there's real betrayal? How do we respond when we've been hurt by people? When they've said things, done things, when they've promised and then not delivered? How, what does that look like? And this week we're focusing on within this body of believers. What does it look like to be a place that in the midst of all of those offenses, we're just sort of bathed in grace we're, we're covered in it. Dan shared this earlier as well when, when, when he, uh, we began the service, but just in case, and, and because it's too important to miss, we, we understand grace to be, it's undeserved, unearned favor. It's not just not getting like a, a, a punishment or not getting a certain response. It's actually favor. 
It's getting something good. It's a gift that costs the giver everything, the receiver nothing. And it causes outrage in the bystander. So today we're going to focus on grace in our body. How do we, how do we interact with one another? How, how ought a church to respond to the grace of God and grace with one another in our relationships? If you've got a Bible, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 4? I'll put it up here as well, but if you want to look at it on your own. Ephesians chapter 4. The book of Ephesians is, um, is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. It's written to a church in the city of Ephesus. This is a church where Paul was very dear to these people. They were very close to one another. He had a deep relationship with them. <clears throat> he refers, in the writing, he refers at different times and places to even ways that, that he has failed and that he was given grace. But as he writes through Ephesians, he begins to get very practical. And he starts to give some very, some very practical instruction to the followers of Christ that that are in this church in Ephesus. And I want to pick up in verse 17, okay, in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4, where it says this, Now I say, this is Paul, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no, no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. He's using Gentile. Gentile and Jew was an ethnic thing. It was a, it was a, it was a matter of heritage. But he's not using it here to just refer to a heritage question or an ethnic question. He's, he's talking about the mindset of the Gentile, the mindset of the person. He's using Gentile as a stand-in for the person who doesn't acknowledge God. Okay? They, just, they don't acknowledge God. They, they've, they've never said yes to him. They, they're, not, they're not responding by faith to the grace that's been offered through Christ. And so he says, look, there's, there's a way of sort of looking at the world, but it's, it's kind of blind and it's kind of dark. Okay? There's an ignorance of, of, what's, of, of the truth. Okay? And that, that ignorance, there's a, there's a mind component and a heart component, right? There's a, there's a lack of acknowledging the truth but that produces like a hardness in my heart. It produces sort of a, a way of, of looking at the world that's, that's tough, that's, that hardness of heart is that, that my soul, my, my, my emotion, my, my feelings about the world, my, but even my will, it's impossible to penetrate. It's hardened. He goes on. They become callous, have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. So he moves from, there's a, heart, a mind component, a heart component, but then it gets into action, right? Like there's certain things that are done as well. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So what we're looking at, okay, what we're looking at is Paul's creating a contrast. And he's saying there's, there's kind of sort of two groups of people. There are people who, who have not responded to the offer of grace from God to them. He uses the word Gentile for that. There are people that, that have not done that, but, he, but then he says but those that have, there's something different. He uses old self and new self. There's an old self. There's a way of just kind of doing things that's natural. It's just sort of what we do reflexively. It's the way we respond to things when nothing else is interacting with us. Okay? And in this context, 
This is, this is the, the person who hasn't said yes to the grace of God. They themselves have not received it. The grace of God is not a part of their life. And so what he's about to turn his attention to is what that, what that looks like when we start to interact with one another. When we start to interact with one another. So the old is the natural and the new is like God. Remember we talked about, um, if, if you were with us um, in December, we talked about the image of God for several weeks. And look at the last phrase here in verse 20, or this last verse. They put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, there's a dynamic that's at work in this old and new. There's a dynamic that's at work. And that dynamic is this, that, that God, as, as Dan shared with us last week, God has, has given grace to us. His grace sits on us. It's there. It's present. Right? And that grace engages and interacts with our soul, with our very being, our eternal self. And as we say yes to that grace, as we say yes to God, our creator, his likeness that's in us is made known. You see, we begin to to actually live in that likeness. We begin to live as he is. We begin to take on the character of God And that's going to include this area of grace. Now, you may be here and say, like, Tom, I'm not sure what you're talking about. I'm not sure that I understand this whole idea of of accepting God's grace. And I want to tell you, you can. We'd love to to talk to you more about this. And and I, I hope that today you hear something that's appealing. I hope that you hear something that's different from from the typical way of life, from from the way we go about our our day-to-day life. And I'd love to talk to you more about receiving that grace. I'd love to share with you what it means to say yes to God's grace in your life. But as we step forward, Paul's going to turn his attention. He's going to, in verse 25, he says, Therefore, right? Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Therefore is a transition word. It tells us that that what we're seeing now is dependent on what's before, right? So what's before is this. Put off the old self, put on the new. Say yes to the grace of God. Live in the likeness of his image, okay? Take it on, take it. And once you've done that, okay, once that's in place, there's now a change sort of in how we go about life. Because this is true, because we've put off the old self and we put on the new, because we've said yes to the grace of God and we live in it, we celebrate it, we reflect on it, we try to go deeper into it, we share it with one another and with others. Because of that, because of that, he says, we do these things. We do these things. So the grace of God, I want, and I, this is important that we get this clear, because what we're about to read is kind of a list of things. It's a list of things to do or not do. And I want to be careful that we don't confuse the issue. Because if, if we remember our definition, the grace of God is unmerited. I can't do anything to earn it. But if we, if we simply were to look at this list in isolation without what came before, we might begin to believe that if I do the things that Paul writes about here, that if I do the things that are on this list, somehow I'll earn God's grace. But notice that's not the way Paul writes it. What Paul writes is this. He says, you've, you've 
take it off the old self and put on the new. You've, you've come to a relationship with God, and now the grace of God becomes the fuel by which we do these things, not the outcome or the destination of doing them. Do you understand that distinction? That's critical. We don't do these things in order to earn God's grace. We don't live this way so that God will be gracious with us. It's because God is gracious with us and we've tasted it, we've felt it, we've experienced it from him. We know what it means to be forgiven. We now are able to live differently from what we do naturally or on our own. And that's a major distinction. That's a major distinction. There is nothing that you or I can do, not a thing that we can do, in our good works, in our behaviors, to enhance our position with God. We can't. It's impossible. It is only his grace alone that makes us capable of living in a way that reflects his likeness in us. That's got to be worth an amen. You don't have to perform. You don't have to perform for me. You don't have to perform for your neighbor. And God says, you don't have to perform for him. You don't have to. It's done. He, remember, grace is a gift that's given. It's a gift that's given. And he's done it. The gift is given. It cost him everything. It costs us nothing. Do we understand that? So before we get into the nuts and bolts of the list, we need to make sure we understand that we we respond in this way because of God's grace, not in order to get God's grace, okay? So therefore, we put away falsehood. Let each of us speak the truth with our neighbor, for we're members of one another. It says be angry. It doesn't even say don't be angry, but be angry and don't sin. That anger is it's possible to feel without sinning towards my neighbor. Don't let the sun go down on that anger. Give no opportunity to the devil if we were just to summarize this simply, when it comes to our, our grace-filled relationships, a couple things are said, right? Be honest. Be honest. Be honest. And why are you so upset? If we understand rightly the grace of God, why are we so upset? Why are we angry all the time? Why is, why is it that everything that, that comes across our way, we view it as some sort of slight? We sort of anticipate that people are being unkind or cruel to us. We've given up, the, we want the benefit of the doubt for ourselves, but we don't give it to others. Why, Paul's saying? Don't, don't live that way. Don't live that way. Be honest. Why are you so upset all the time? Verse 28, keep going. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, being, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Follow? So work hard. Don't don't cut corners. Don't steal from your neighbor. Work hard, but notice why. I don't work hard so I can accumulate for myself. I don't work hard so everybody can look and see how hard I'm working and how successful I am. I work hard. Why? So that I can dispense to my neighbor. I can give. I can share with those in need. And he says, don't let corrupting talk come out of your mouth, right? And, and this may have something to do with vulgarity, but, it's, but that's not really what he says. He says, only what is good for building up as fits the occasion. That, that what we say is, our, our mouths, we speak 
so that others are built up, so that others can flourish, so that others can be strengthened. This is, this is the pattern of what it looks like when we begin to engage God's grace in our relationships with one another. No taking, no, no, no getting for myself. I'm, I'm looking for ways to give out to others. I'm using my words to build others up. And notice how this ends, right? It's good for building up as fits the occasion that it, our words, it, may give grace to those who hear. That this very grace of God that's come to us, we now become like a channel or a funnel so that it, it moves from us out to others. That we become agents of God's grace. It's not just that we've received it, thank God we have, but if it stops there, if it stops there, we haven't completed the picture. If, it, if we just say, oh, thank God for his grace, but I can't stand all of you all. There's real questions about the therefore in this, right? So we, it, don't, let the, don't let corrupting talk come out. Only what's good for building others up. In verse 30, don't, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That sounds serious, right? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit, the, the Lord in spirit. Well, I want to know about that. What's he saying? Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You see, grieving the Holy Spirit, it could be, we could think of it as a certain way of like, well, there's, there's a list of bad things I can do. And if I do the things on that list, that I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. I was blessed, um, I was blessed to attend a Christian school growing up, um, all through Christian school. And I had a, I had a teacher, she was lovely, um, older lady, Bible teacher. Her, her name is Mrs. Barber. Um, Mrs. Barber loved to shock high school students, so she was always doing these things. We walked into her class one day, and I was in 10th grade, or I, I mean, I remember this like it was yesterday. 10th grade, I walked into her class, and, and we sit in her class, and she stands up in front of the class, and she's quiet for a second, and the next thing you know, she's cussing like a sailor. She is. We, we, our eyes went like, boop, like, what is happening, <laughs> okay? And she stopped very calmly, and she said, now, as grieved as you are, that's how grieved the Holy Spirit is when you say those things. <laughs> And I was like, okay, I am pretty grieved right now, right? Now, there's a corrupting talk element in these verses, and there's, but, but if we actually look at this, I, again, Mrs. Barber was a dear woman, and, and she taught me an awful lot, okay? I owe her a great debt of gratitude that I have not done justice to in the last 60 seconds, okay? But, but Mrs. Barber took this grieving the Holy Spirit in a way to sort of say, like, like well, there's these certain offenses, and when you do those things, it makes, it makes God sad, okay? These certain activities that you can engage in. There's a list of naughty words is essentially what she was saying to us that day. Now, I'm sure that, that that's not all she said to us. I was 15 years old, and I probably listened to, you know, once she stopped swearing, I probably stopped listening to most of what she had to say the rest of the day. But, but my, my point in this is, is if we actually look at what Paul's writing, the grieving of the Holy Spirit actually seems to have something to say about our relationships. What really grieves the Spirit? What really grieves the Spirit? 
According to this, it seems to be the bitterness that we have towards one another. The way that we respond with wrath, anger, the clamoring. That's a great word, right? The clamoring. The clamoring is when I'm constantly shouting out or, or doing my complaining about the things that have been, the, the sins that have, been, have offended me. The clamoring. The slander. Oh yeah, I'm going to get back at you. Wait till they hear what you've done. Let, be put, let that be put away, Paul writes. Like put it, just like the old self is, is put aside. Let's put that away along with all malice. Malice is this great blanket word that simply sort of says like, like the way that you act in life that is intended to harm your neighbor for your own gain. Like to whatever degree. It could, it could just simply be I'm going to say something to slight you so that somehow I look or feel better in front of others. It's malicious. It's intended to harm you, to hurt you, to tear you down. Put it away. Put it away. But he doesn't stop, right? Because he puts a couple things in his place. Verse 32, B, right? So to this, be kind. Be kind. Well, that seems to be on the opposite side of what he's talking about, right? What if, what if when someone has hurt me, or what if when there's someone who has something that I, I'm jealous of or that I'm coveting what they have, what if instead of using my mouth as a tool or a weapon to chip away at them, what if instead I go out of my way to bless them, to be kind to them? And then he says, be tender-hearted. Remember the hard-heartedness of those who haven't accepted the grace of God? Don't let your heart be hard tender. It's not weak to admit that something hurt us. It's not weak to admit that we feel. It's, it's normal for the person who understands that the grace that God has given them to feel nothing is the problem. That's the weakness. The strength is in acknowledging what God has done for us. And having a tenderness that flows out of us because we understand that our offense with the rest of this, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you, we understand that the offense done to us is nothing in comparison to what's been done to Christ. What we have done. And we've been forgiven of. Do we follow? This is a, this is a drastic difference, distinction from the way we live. I'm constantly, I admit it, I don't like this. I'm constantly looking for ways to level the playing field with my words, with my mouth. Oh, you think you've got, you've got something on me? Well, how about this? You think that you're quick and you can make a joke at my expense? I'm going to make four at yours. I'm not forgetting what you did in 2008. I'm still giving it back to you. That's, that's how I would, and then I maybe even try to spiritualize it. Well, you know, the Bible also says eye for an eye. Yeah, and Jesus said, <laughs> he's the one who judges. What are you doing? Why are we living like this? This is not the model. This is not the model. If we keep taking eye for eye, we all wind up blind, right? I don't like this. My flesh like refuses to just let it be. But when I, when I come into, into touch with 
how much I've been forgiven. When I recognize what Christ has done for me, how could I hold these slight offenses against others? How can I do that? And you see, it doesn't, um, it doesn't matter the size of the offense, right? There's no mention here of forgiving one another for the small things as God and Christ forgave you. Or forgiving one another once or twice or three times as Christ forgave you. There seems to be, not seems to be, there's, there's this sort of unlimited nature to this. Even trying to make an argument for why my case is different. No, 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 no. The hurt that's been done to me is different. It deserves malice. It deserves a severing of relationship. It deserve, they're getting from me what they deserve. Again, where would we all be if that last phrase of Ephesians 4 wasn't true? Where would we all be if Christ gave us what we deserved? You see, he's not asking us to do something that he hasn't done himself. He's asking us to follow a model. The model is Christ himself who took upon the greatest injustice so that we could be forgiven. And so all the excuses that we make, all the things, the ways that we try to, to, to justify our lack of forgiveness, our lack of grace, our holding on and clinging to, nope, it's justice in this case. It doesn't seem to add up with the message of the gospel of the grace of God. I don't like that. But it seems to be where we find ourselves. So if I can, I want to hit, there's so much in here, right? But I want to hit just a, a few things before as we, as we sort of look at this in what it means for us. And the first thing is this. I think there's a really big idea in this, and it's where this passage started. Grace requires Transparency. You see, around here, we have, a, we have another core. Grace, being grace-focused is a core value for us, but it's also being personally authentic is a value for us. Personal transparency, that we're honest. At least, we intend to be. We're focused on it. And there's a reason that these two things go hand in hand, right? Because unless I'm honest, unless you know who I am, unless you understand the, the sin in my soul, unless... unless you and I come clean completely on our offenses. Grace isn't really grace. You see, in order for grace to really come, there's got to be some level of disclosure. See, it's cheap grace that sort of says like, like well, we all kind of know there's bad stuff, and so we're not going to deal with repentance of sin. We're not going to deal with the difficult things in one another's life. We're just going to kind of let it go. But you see, real grace, it demands transparency and disclosure. At the beginning of this section in Ephesians chapter 4, remember this is right where Paul starts this therefore section. He says, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. It goes beyond just like be honest. It, it goes beyond that. It actually says we, we actually all belong. We're members one with another. And, and the members, the language here is, is that of members of one 
um, like one system or, or one body in other places, Paul writes. But it's, it's, we're members. We, like we, we share life with one another. And so when I'm dishonest or when, when, I'm, when I don't disclose, when I'm not forthright, grace, grace isn't really dispensed. If I only tell you half of it, I'm, I'm kind of only getting a half measure of grace. Um, I've never done this before, but I've done it here, but I've done it in other settings. Let's talk about a great line from a mediocre movie, okay? So, you know, there's, some, there's plenty of mediocre movies. Most of them are probably mediocre. But, but I think there's this, this great line in a mediocre movie. The movie is Meet Joe Black, okay? It's, uh, I wrote some notes here, sorry. In 1998, when Brad Pitt was never more handsome, which if you watch it, it's probably true, um, Anthony Hopkins was a big deal. They teamed up to tell the story of the Grim Reaper. Sorry, spoiler alert if you've never seen it. Um, but they team up to tell the story of the Grim Reaper. And surprise, Brad Pitt is a strikingly handsome Grim Reaper. Okay? And he's come to Earth to take a soul, and it's Anthony Hopkins. Except along the way, he falls in love with Anthony Hopkins' daughter. And he's the Grim Reaper. How does he fall in love? Get it? Okay. That's basic plot. Mediocre movie. You don't need to see it. Okay? Um, it's really long. Um, and didn't need to be. But there's this great scene at the end of it, okay, where Joe, which is Brad Pitt's character, or Death, the Grim Reaper, Joe, he's made this friend. His friend, the friend's name is Quince. Quince is related to the family in a certain way, but he's kind of a, he's, he's kind of a dummy. He's always making mistakes, and his mistakes continue to get bigger and bigger until finally, like, a mistake that he's made could take down the family fortune, okay? You feel the tension? All right. But Joe, there's something about Quince that Joe really admires. He admires the fact that Quince just absolutely adores his wife. Quince's wife, not Joe's not married, okay? He adores his wife. And there's a scene towards the end of the movie, and it's just four, well, it's really only three lines of, of dialogue. But, but I, want, I want you to hear this and see this, because I think it does illustrate what we're trying to talk about, okay? Joe says, but Allison loves you. They've talked about his mistakes, and he says, but Allison knows she loves you. Quince nods, yes between his stifled snobs. Now I'm going to do my Brad Pitt impersonation. You ready? You see it already? So you can already see it, can't you? <laughs> How do you know? Huh? Is that good? All right. How do you know? But Quint says this, right? Here's what he says. I know Allison loves me because she knows the worst thing about me and it's okay. Oh, that's a great line in a really mediocre movie. Okay? She knows the worst thing about me and it's Okay? This is, this is a place where God's common grace has shown someone a piece of truth. And the truth is this, that, that in order to really dispense grace and love, there has to be a level of disclosure that allows people to see me as I really am. And when they see me, then grace is on the table. When they know the worst I've got, grace is on the table. Up to that point, how... There, it's not grace, it's, it's sort of a negotiation. Another big idea. Grace does not mean passivity, okay? Um, and, and I don't want to camp here too long, but I do want to mention this because it's, it's easy for us to see grace as simply, and I, I referenced this early, as seeing like, you know, they just kind of let things go. They're just the kind of person who's not riled up easily. They just sort of like, they, they let it ride. And Jesus, who was 
full of grace and full of truth, as John 1.14 tells us, was not the kind of guy who just let things ride. <laughs> okay? It's the opposite of passivity. Grace actually compels us when there is a problem or there is something going on in someone's life that is, that is harmful or detrimental or is going to inhibit them from flourishing in their relationship with God. Grace compels us to step in and say something. It doesn't say, I'm just going to hang out over here on the sidelines and watch you ruin your life. Grace forces us to step in. In the very same passage in Ephesians 4, in a section before the one we read, Paul says it this way, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. What he's saying is that we, we can still be loving and full of grace and speak truth into someone's life. Okay? I, in fact, to say nothing is the least loving thing we can do if someone's about to destroy their life or if someone is on a, a slow, progressing trail that's going to do them and others around them harm. To say nothing and to do nothing isn't grace, it's indifference. And indifference isn't love. And so do you see? We're not talking about being passive. We're talking about engaging in relationship with others where we say, no matter what the offense is, I'm, I am standing here ready to forgive you but I'm not going to get out of your way so that you can just ruin your life. That's a whole other sermon. There's another big idea, and this is where I want to land here, right? You see, there's a perspective that we need to take on, a posture that we need to stand in. Because grace, the ex mere existence of it, and, and Paul's instructions to us to be ready, to be filled with grace and be ready to forgive, it assumes that we will be wrong. You will be wronged. People are going to do things that are hurtful to you. Many of them, in fact, the overwhelming majority of them are probably just good-natured mistakes. But they might also be malicious. They might be vindictive. <clears throat> they might be hurtful, purposeful, and intentional. And it's going to happen even amongst the body of believers. If it weren't to happen, the instructions that Paul's writing through the inspiration of the Spirit there are nonsense. It's going to happen. Someone's going to say something. They're going to hurt you. And then, at that point, is not the point in time to determine whether or not I'm going to dispense grace, quite frankly. The instructions from Paul are written for us to, to prepare ourselves for those moments. Be ready. Because understanding the grace of God is understanding that just as, as Christ must forgive us, we must forgive others. Right? 432. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Be not do, be these things. You catch that? Be the kind of person who's tender, who's kind, the kind of person who's forgiving of one another. Be that kind of person. Because when it comes, in that moment, you're going to have options for how you respond. You're going to have options for how you respond. What if I had sent this? Can you read it? Maybe not. Maybe we should talk. When's a good time for you? 
When someone sends that text, when someone says that thing that's hurtful and harmful, is it possible, is it possible that we are ready, waiting to forgive? That we're ready to work it out? That we're not going to run from it, but we're going to move into it and forgive the offense before the apology is even made. I'm going to assume, I'm going to assume that this is something that we can work through together. I'm going to assume that there's a good reason. Again, it doesn't mean we're passive. It doesn't mean we, leave, we say nothing and pretend and hope it's going to go away. But grace means we move into it in relationship, anticipating that the grace of God that flows through us is going to flow into those who've hurt us. This is no small thing. This is no small thing. Dan said to us last week, if, what if, what if we became the kind of people and this became the kind of place where grace was just normal? Where in our relationships, we were standing ready to forgive where our posture was one that wasn't, didn't have our fists up ready for our fight, but maybe had our arms out ready to embrace. What if? It can't be too high a call. It's the call that God's put on his people. That Paul's told us, be ready, be tender, not hardened. Be ready. Will you pray? God, we're, um, we thank you for the work that you do. We thank you for the ways that you, you have forgiven us. And we just acknowledge that we, we don't have what's necessary to, to draw water from that well, to, to, to drink up your grace in its fullness. God, thank you for just giving it to us as a gift. Thank you for, for, for forgiving us when we were still a long way from you, when we were your enemies. God, we, um, we need your power. We need your spirit. If, we're gonna, if we are going to live out grace, we need your help. God, help us to... Help us to put our fists down. Help us to, to be ready to, to accept and embrace. Keep us tender and kind, ready to forgive. God, show us the people that we, we need to move towards. Help us to make those moves. And God, we're, um, we are here because you are and you've done for us what we can't do on our own. And we ask that you would continue to do so. We cannot give grace to others. It's only your grace that can come through us. So we ask that, um, that we would know it, that we would feel it, and that we would be able to give it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.